yeah, have that career goal, but enjoy the journey. Remember, you've got to excel at the role you're in before you're going to earn the right to start to get the nice stuff. So always excel in the role you're in. Look ahead to the next role. How can you start taking on parts of the next role? Because the easiest way to get promoted is to turn around and go, well, I'm already doing that role and be seen for it. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name is Camilla and I'm a trainee solicitor and I will be your host for today. In today's episode, we are delighted to be joined by Heather Townsend, an international professional speaker founder of the How to Make Partner Courses and Workshops. Heather has delivered events for companies such as Deloitte, PwC and The Telegraph. Heather is also the best-selling author of five books, including How to Make Partner and Still Have a Life and Poised for Partnership and a FT published author for the Financial Times Guide for Business Networking. In today's episode, we're going to be covering topics such as tips for our student and junior lawyer listeners about how you can progress in your careers. So without further ado, let's welcome Heather onto the show. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast, Heather. Oh, thank you very much. I heard that introduction. I thought, oh, well, that sounds like, oh, that's me. <laughs> yes, it's always lovely to kind of go, wow, I did all of that. <laughs> I bet you've probably forgotten half the things that you've done and so many accomplishments. <laughs> it's always good to be reminded, isn't it? Yes, I'd like the listeners out there to realise that I was a I was a child prodigy and I started writing at the age of 10. I haven't been in, oh, never mind. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, So let's get straight into the questions because I've got quite a few for you today. Um, I wondered if you could perhaps start off by telling us a bit more about your How to Partner books and courses and explain who your clients are and how you help them. Absolutely. So what many of your listeners will realise is that they've had a fight to get the right A-levels. They've then had a fight to get on the right degree unless they've done the ILEX route. They've then had a fight to get their training contract. The fight for law school training contract, fight to get into the right seat, all of this sort of stuff. And at that point, when you get that to that point in your career, you probably think it is about your technical skills. And particularly when you sit there in a room and you're with the expert, as they tell their clients, 
who the clients have gone to because they are the expert and you hear that they are the expert, you hear senior lawyers going, they never, senior lawyers never rate somebody else's leadership, managerial, commercial, business skills. It's all about they're a great lawyer. Normally there's a swear word in that, but I can't swear this early on in your podcast. And so what happens in law, but not just in law, in in in, in, in accountancy and consultancy that we do a lot of work with, is that this thing called technical skills gets prized. And then the other thing is, it's a bit of a shock, but you come into law and, you know, you go to one of the really big firms, you're like, yeah, you've got to, you've got to put down seven, eight billable hours a day. And I'm thinking, when do these people sleep? When do they do their admin? When do they do their training? So suddenly you realize, you're getting told technical skills are great, billable hour is great. And then people wonder why, as they get more senior into their career, that their career is not moving forward. And this is where we come in. We talk about it as we're helping people get the well-rounded skills in order to progress their career. Because actually, to go to solicitor, yeah, it is about technical skills. To go to associate, you need to start starting your journey to manage people, which means you've got different calls on your time. As soon as you get to about associate level, it's less about your ability to how well you can draft, how well you know the law. You get to see your associate and you're routinely expected to be able to win work from existing clients, project manage big deals. You get to partner and you're expected to grow a business. And if you notice in those last three things, I'm not talking about your ability to build. I'm not talking about your technical skills, but that will be the conversation and culture around you. And and what we do is very much, you know, we help people make partner when, when they get there, stay there. And for us, we're not going to teach you to be a good lawyer. You know, You've got that in spades around you. You've got loads of people talking. We will help you get the other skills, the bit that take you from this great lawyer into the well-rounded professional that people will realise are ready for the associate role, the senior associate role, and then the partner role. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I I have heard before that technical skills are just kind of a given, and it's, Mm. it's everything else around it that actually makes the big impact. So... Um, yeah, I think that I think that's great. Um, and and so, when do you think the right time is for junior lawyers to start thinking about partnership if that's their end goal? The reality is, a lot of people go into law because they are ambitious. You think about the people around you; they are all highly they're all like really intelligent. You know, they've been to this university, that university, got this grade, all of this. Everyone around you is often highly intelligent highly ambitious and and I know a lot of people when they walk through the front door of their first law firm job they look up at the managing partner and go I'm after your place and maybe that's a bit you know that's a bit of a caricature but a lot of people are straight in there with going right I want to move forward it's all about making it to the top so I'm not going to chastise somebody if they're thinking right at the very beginning of their career I want to make partner neither am I going to chastise anyone who's going well actually I want to enjoy the journey I want to take it at my own pace actually it might be right for me to go into industry it might be right for me to stop at senior associate Actually, what is really important, it's not about the destination. It's about enjoying the journey. And I think we forget that. We forget that when you're happy, you'll do better work. And actually, you'll perform better and your career will go further. But too often, I see people make themselves really unhappy because of a, I have to. And I think the most important thing for any joint junior lawyer listening to this is to really think about 
how can I enjoy the journey? Now, I know as a junior lawyer, there, there is this real tension between I've done this amount of years of study, I was probably top of my class, and now you want me to do the equivalent of photocopying. You want me to do put all the court bundles together. You want me to proofread this document. But I thought I was going to be in that courtroom exchanging witty repartee with the other counsel and all of that sort of stuff. And 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 I think what we have to remember is that's what you see on TV dramas. What we have to remember is that it's important to really, right from the very start of your career, understand the context you're operating in. So you might be thinking, oh, I'm just researching this precedent. But actually, how does that link to the wider piece of work? How does that link to what the client's wanting? How does that link to this? And I think the first thing I want to tell you is not necessarily to stick a goal on where you want to be at but to stick a goal of actually really understanding how does your work connect with the matter, with also what the client's doing. Because when you really start to think wider, what that is going to help you do is actually become far more commercial. And it's those commercial skills, that ability to be a great person to work with, that's going to get you further and faster. And I'd always say to people, stop trying to run before you can walk. You know, it's that whole, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna qualify, and then within two years I'm gonna be an associate, and then within another two years I'm gonna be an associate, and then another three years I'm gonna make part. Forget all of that. Go at your own pace. And sometimes you might go a bit quicker, sometimes you get might go a bit slower. But it for me, what's important is yeah, you do have a career goal. I'm not saying don't have a career goal, but what I'm saying is make sure you enjoy the journey. And actually, one of the things that the junior lawyers can do is be great to work with. I know that sounds strange. But, you know, I I sit there and I have an organisation of 10, 12 people. And most people listening to this podcast will be the equivalent of Robbie and my team, bottom of the pile. And there's stuff that I ask Robbie to do. And I just do because you look at my charge out rate compared to his, there's a big, big difference and it needs to get done. And it's, it's understanding that, you know, what you might be seen as beneath you is actually often learning the craft of being a lawyer. And before you can get onto the sexy stuff, you've got to do the basics well. So for anybody listening to this, your first goal is to do the basics well. Learn to become that good lawyer. Don't be in too hurry to lead that deal. Learn to do the basics well. Seize the opportunities that come. And I was reading something today that said, up until the age of 40, say yes to every opportunity. After the age of 40, say no. I was like, okay, that makes me old. But it's that whole point of view that actually... Before the age of 40, you you may not know whether you're doing the right thing in the right place. Unless you say yes to every opportunity, how are you going to know that? So I'm not saying burn yourself out, definitely not. And there's a time for knowing when to say no. And I, I could talk a lot about when to say no. But the important thing is, and I know I'm waffling, is, yeah, have that career goal. But enjoy the journey. But remember, you've got to excel at the role you're in before you're going to earn the right to start to get the nice stuff. So always excel in the role you're in. Look ahead to the next role. How can you start taking on parts of the next role? Because the easiest way to get promoted is to turn around and go, well, I'm already doing that role and be seen for it. Fantastic advice and enjoying the process. It's not only great career advice, but it's it's good life advice as well. So double whammy there. Um, Thank you, Heather. Um, 
So are there any key skills that you think law students or training solicitors could start developing now so that by the time they're qualified, they can hit the ground running? Absolutely. And so there are a lot of things. So the first thing I would say is, you know, there's people at uni you with. You know, there's people that you did your training contract with. You know, those people that actually kind of left after a couple of years and went to a different firm. Maybe they went in-house. Those could be your first clients. Now, I'm sitting here as somebody that I'd like to say is mid-40s, but rapidly accelerating towards that big birthday. And a lot of my peers from that year are now partners, are now in real positions of influence. And I'm kicking myself that I did not stay in touch with what would have been the most amazing Black Book of Contacts. And I'd actually say one of the things to do is kind of go, who do you get on with? Who do you want to stay in touch with? And make uh, an, an effort to do that. So the next thing to do is remember that you've got a personal brand. And you might think, oh, but I'm still studying right now. I don't yet have a job as a lawyer. Who am I? You know, nobody's going to buy me. But you have a personal brand. You have a message that you want to put out there. Now, in the early stages, that's recruiters. That's potential employers that are going to be looking at that. And if you're in any doubt, Instagram will get looked at. Face will get looked at. LinkedIn will get looked at. But these are all great places to build your network and stay in touch with them in a very time effective way. And and I'd say good discipline for any junior lawyer, whether you're yet employed or still in study, is to allocate 15 to 20 minutes every day to attending to your network, whether that's growing it, whether that's stabilizing it, whether that's talking to people. And actually, and I know that a lot of people listening to this are taking a break from their whatever they're doing. They've probably been studying. You know, they've got their post-it notes out, they've got their little red pens and all and highlighters. And actually, I hate to say this, but go out and do a bit of partying. Get to know people. Let your hair down a bit. I'm not saying embarrass yourself because those pictures will end up on the internet. What I'm saying is use this time to socialize and build that network. You can do that at any time. So remember, you've got a personal brand. And and I would say probably people that have the luxury of being born 20 years earlier than me, i.e. they are are starting to come into the workforce, starting to uh, go into university, already innately know about curating their feed, knowing what they want to get seen out there. But how do you want yourself to be known as? What messages do you want people to tag around you? So make sure you're thinking about that as you put your feed out there. So we've talked about network. We've talked about managing your image. Another thing you could do right now is build your commercial awareness. So I'm not saying that you watch The Apprentice because let's be honest, that's a reality show. That is, you know, I gave up after series two when I realized it was no longer about leadership development. But actually start having conversations about what is happening in the world of business. Be curious. You know, pick up the Financial Times. You know, if you're wanting to go into corporate law, the Financial Times, The Economist, you know, start reading around, find subjects to follow. What you're trying to do is build a level of knowledge outside of the law. The temptation for any student right now is I need to pass my law exams. I need to pass my whatever. Actually, the more that you can be curious, the more that you can actually understand. So what is the impact of interest rates going up? Why have we suddenly got PE houses rationalizing their portfolio because the interest rates going up build that level of knowledge 
um, that will serve you very, very well. Now, if the area of your you want to go into is more consumer, private client related, well, think about your people skills. Um, can you volunteer to pick up some counselling skills? Can you volunteer to do some roles at university or at law school where you are able to talk with people, where you're able to do some pro bono work? Um, you know, of course, any you know, being able to deal with anyone is a great skill, whatever part of the law you're going into. But these are all opportunities to build those skill sets now, which when you get to that interview, you can talk about, why do you want to go into family law? Well, you know, this was my history. So what I've actually done is to build this, this and this, because I really I'm looking forward to getting it. That makes a huge difference to someone going, well, I don't know, I just kind of I wanted to do it, really. Brilliant advice again, Heather. Um I really liked your networking tip about spending just, you know, a few um, a few minutes every day attending to your network. I think that's great. And I'm definitely going to implement that because even, you know, I'm only 44 months into my training contract, but business development is already, uh, you know, yeah. a part of my um, role. And so it's, yeah, it's it's something that I wish I'd started a little bit earlier, but, but yeah, I'm going to implement that. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, and and what do you think that junior lawyers or trainees can do to stand out and grow their profile early on in their careers? I know you've sort of touched on this already, but but I wonder if you could expand. This is a really difficult question mm. because when you're with the best of the best, it's really difficult to stand out, isn't it? So what you've got to realise is that you're amongst a whole lot of people who are getting four A's at A-level, going to Oxford, Bristol, Cambridge, whatever, isn't going to make a difference. So how are you going to really stand out? And I would actually say it's about bringing your personality across. And I would also say it's very tempting. And I I see it now. And I, I see it when I see lawyers go onto LinkedIn and I get this very legal, rational, whatever. And we've got to remember that people buy people, whether that's offering you a job, offering you a training contract, people buy people. So when you make sure you put your messages out there, don't shy away that actually you're a really big dog lover. Put that out there. Don't you know, I'm not I'm not saying get into politics and religion unless that's a major part of what you want to put out there. Um, and, you know, there are some people where actually their religion is such an important part of it that it's, you know, and I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying is bring the pieces of personality out. You know, you'll hear me talking about my teenagers and they are always called the teenagers. Uh, and I'll have whimsical stuff about it. And people relate to me because of that. And so don't be afraid to bring your personality out into the application forms you're writing, the stuff that you're putting on social media. and the 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 fight for places is still really strong to get that law firm contract so another thing to do is to go well how can you show that you're not just like every other law student so have you volunteered to do some pro bono work at university or in your uh, at the law school where you can actually be starting to use that have you gone and found yourself some work experience at a local law firm have you, um, for example, have you got onto a VAC scheme? You know, when I'm aware of the, you know, I, I do quite a bit of work with mid-tier international law firms. And, you know, the VAC schemes are essential to get on because who do they pick their students from? The best of the VAC schemes. So it's really important to think about this as how do I get some experience that shows that 
I'm, I'm, I'm interested. And you've got to remember that, yeah, you're going to have other people that were top of their debating society, other people that have done this. But have you shown that you've gone and got some interested experience? How are you putting on your social media channels that you are intelligent, bright, got a great future in front of you? I'm not saying going, I'm the best because that's not what it's about. But are you showing that you're interested in staff, that you've got a personality that will make you stand out? Because you've got to think about a lot of these straight A students have been highly, highly groomed. As a result, they've lost all of their what I would call joie de vivre. They've become a product of private school education. And I'll say I had five years of private school education, so I'm not being hard on private school education. But when you've been groomed like that, you can often become very robotic. You're saying the right answers. So to stand out, coming across as your personality. I'm not saying you have to be this big extrovert because introverts, and I hold my hand up here, big introverts can have as much of a personality as the extroverts because you can have more gravitas as an introvert because I'm not spouting my mouth off all the time. But it's about be true to yourself or really get that authentic character over. So, you know, be true to yourself, build up a social media profile, be interested, have something to say, get experience is really going to help you stand out and get onto those VAC schemes, VAC schemes, unpaid work experience, if you're in that position to do so, is a great way forward. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's, again, great advice. And um, law is a, a, a people business at the end of the day, yeah. so it kind of makes sense that you should work on, you know, growing <laughs> those interpersonal skills uh, and your personality. Um, and so what do you think the import, what is the importance of mentorship and how can listeners go about finding a suitable mentor? So 20 years ago, if you had a mentor in a law firm, they would be a career coach that opened doors for you. They would share the benefit of their experience. They'd be a critical friend. Um, they'd advocate for you around the table. These days, now that, now that mentorship has become so ubiquitous, uh, you know, you come into a law firm, everybody's allocated a buddy, a mentor. They don't have time to do that. You know, if, if every partner or senior associate has got 20 to 40 people they look after, they cannot do that same level of diligence. So these days, the mentor you tend to get is someone that will share the benefit of their experience. And I would say that, you know, one of the ways you can stand out when you're in a law firm is picking your mentor carefully and really using them you know a lot of the time it's a oh yeah I'll see my mentor soon and it never happens because you cancel they cancel whatever and I'd actually say with a mentor the most important thing to do is do that contracting up front what is it that you really want from them because if you just go in there with oh well, I'm told I need a mentor what do we talk about it's not going to happen whereas if you actually go in with the um this is where I'm at this is where I want to get to this is where I'm where I'm I'm weak. What advice would you give me? This is what I'd like from you. Are you okay with that? You're going to get far more value out of that conversation. Because what you're actually trying to do as a junior lawyer is potentially have one or two mentors for you. We don't need just need one. You know, I often say when people are a bit more senior in their career, pick somebody in a completely different department in a senior influential level that has a skill set that you admire and want to develop. So for example, if you're in a very property-based law firm and you're not in property you want a partner in property um you know somebody that will give you that profile over the rest of the firm but as a as a very junior lawyer and I remember me be, I was never a junior lawyer but I was definitely that scared what have I got myself in for I don't know what I'm doing you know I am the individual that got sacked twice made redundant twice before the age of 
32, I think, you know, so I think that's pretty good, you know, um, is it's okay to be shy. It's okay to not know what you're doing. So use your mentor to help you normalize the experiences that are going on around you. Use them to kind of go, I, I remember crying in the smoke. I'm not a smoker, but I went and cried in the smoking hut. And it was about once a week with my first job. And and you know what? If I'd had a mentor and used them properly, I could have normalized a lot. I could have taken a lot of the anxiety out of it. So really look at where do you have gaps? Now you might realize you might not realize those gaps. So you may be kind of going, I need some feedback. What is it I need to do? But where do you have gaps? What are you afraid of? What are you scared of? Use your mentor to help you with that. You know, there's so many things that happened in my first and second kind of roles that were just wrong. And if I'd had a really good mentor, they could have they could have told me, you don't have to be the best Heather. You don't have to have all the answers. It's OK to be vulnerable. That would have made such a difference. But instead, I thought I had to know all the answers. And so I became very, very shy. And so I got labeled as arrogant and not a people person. Funny enough, I've only spent the last 20 years coaching people, but I'm not a people person, according to them. <laughs> So almost to summarize, my key thing is one, get a mentor. They don't need to be in your firm, but get someone that you trust. Two, use them to normalize your experiences when you're freshing into the workforce. You know, use them to really ask the questions like, you know, how do I prove myself on the job? You know, what is really expected of a junior lawyer? How do I really shine? Ask these questions and don't be afraid to. And then use them to get feedback. This happened. I did this. What should I do next? What would I? And really use them as your secret career weapon. Because if a mentor likes you and a mentor sees your potential, they will open doors for you. You'll get that secondment you wanted. You'll get that future. You'll qualify into the seat you wanted and all of this sort of stuff. So absolutely get a mentor, use them. Very well said. Um, and it's a great time to also plug our mentorship scheme. We've got a student lawyer mentorship scheme. Um, and uh, I will leave details to the scheme in the show notes of the podcast. So you can um, go and, and um, check out the, I don't think the application cycle is open now, but um, it, it should be open at, at some point um, next year. So uh, go and check that out if you haven't already. Um, so, yeah, I, I wondered, so my next question really is about when will a lawyer know that it's the right time for them to make a bid for partnership and when they feel that they are ready, how do you actually become partner? <laughs> right. <laughs> See so, in the newspaper, the job section of the... Of yeah, the you do go, right, I'm ready. So <laughs> I think the first thing to realise, and a lot of people see partner as another promotion, the first thing to realize is making partner is not a promotion. Making partner, on the day that you're made partner, you'll resign from the, you'll resign and become self-employed. You'll get a P45. You will then um, sign a piece of paper that says, I am now an owner of this firm or a very small, tiny part owner of this firm. So you'll become self-employed and you'll become a business owner rather than an employee. So as you can imagine, that's a very different mindset. So for example, I just want to almost give you some of the real stuff that has happened to law firm partners over the last 10 years. So 2020, in March 2020 in the UK, uh, many law firms started swearing and going, where's the work going to come from? 
What are we going to do? They were facing in March 22 Armageddon. The partners had to decide what to do, the right response to take, and almost universally, most law firm partners agreed not to take any cash out of their business, so agreed not to take any of their drawings so there was cash to pay wages. At that point as well, as things went on, they also said, let's not waste a good crisis because they're good business people, and they made selective job cuts. And then what happened as we progressed into 2022 was this wave of work hit most law firms. That was both from the more private client related stuff through to the corporate stuff, because we had a whole lot of cheap money in place. We had a whole lot of stressful personal conditions. So you spoke to any law firm at the end of 2020, in 2021, they were overwhelmed by work. So once again, these law firm partners have to take decisions on how are we going to resource this? How long is this going to how long is this going to carry on for? Do we just take the whinging? Then, of course, the great resignation happened where a lot of junior lawyers thought, I don't have a relationship. I sit here, I log on, I log off. I don't see people. Is this what I want? I'm I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going out of law. Or I'm going into industry. And so we suddenly had this, whoa, we can't get lawyers for love or money, particularly at the junior end. The, the partners had to deal with this. And have you noticed, I haven't mentioned anything about technically being a lawyer in this. So what we've got to remember is these are owners of the firm. They're responsible for the long-term profitable, the profitable nature and sustainable nature of the firm. So their job is to grow and maintain a business. That is very, very different to say a senior associate, which is to take on jobs. They may have won them themselves and carry and carry them out so the client is delighted and they're profitable. So as you can see, it's a very different mindset. So how do you know you're ready for partner? Well, first and foremost, you'll be acting, thinking and feeling like you're a partner. So at this stage, you'll be talking about the firm rather than your clients. You will have most of your work coming directly to you. You will not have that being fed to you. You'll be driving your own development. You won't be waiting for the firm to put you onto that course to move forward. You'll have taken responsibility for your own development. You won't be taking on any work. You won't be sitting on work to get your billable time up. You'll be really factoring in how can we deliver this more efficiently and more effectively. So I've just been working with two partners in a, a well-known London law firm. And we we've been putting a business case and a personal case for partnership. And this is what every lawyer needs to say when they get, because you've got to think it's a due diligence. You are investing into a business. And the business case is how am I going to, what is the commercial benefit of making me up to partner? And then the personal case is how am I delivering and acting at a level that is associated with what a partner needs to be in this practice? So a lot of people think, I've done 10 years PQE. I've given my life to this firm. I've put that on hold. I've put this on hold. I'm ready to make partner. Can you make me partner? And, and the firm will turn around and go, no, you're a great senior associate. You're a great legal director, but you're not acting like a partner. You're not demonstrating you're ready for partnerships to so go away. Um, and this is what a lot of people fail to realize, that making partner is not just another promotion. It demonstrates that you can grow a business. And of course, within a law firm, it's a business within a business. So I think about the business cases I've been putting together. One of them is they've brought in a, a client to the firm that's worth half a, half a million in fees. They've also got a succession where they are somebody's moving on. So they're going to take up the head of team. And also for the level of clients they're dealing with, they need a partner to head up that team. But part of their business case is how they're going to improve the profitability, how they're going to get more structured with their business development. Have you noticed that's nothing like I'm a good lawyer? 
We've got another one that's already took over from a partner that's left, was a head of team, was had a had a was delivering 1.2 million through her team. And so we put a business case that said, look, I'm already here, I'm already doing this. You're already kind of treating me like a partner. But by the way, if you make me partner, I'll grow up from 1 million to 2 million because I can do this, this and this. So can you see that's very, very different to what most people think, which is I've got to be a really great lawyer, bill a lot, and then they'll make me partner when I've been a certain amount of years PQE. It's really interesting. Um, I didn't really think about it like that. I, I think you you can fall into the trap of thinking that it's a promotion, but like you said, it's just not a na- it's not just a natural progression. It's a very different role. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's a really really good point. Um, and, and I think I want to pick up on this natural progression because yeah. I know we've got a lot of junior lawyers. And by the way, do look at the mentoring scheme wherever you find one. It is important. Is is that a lot of your first bit of your career is natural progression. You do the right thing, you get into law school. You do the right thing at law school, you get uh you get a placement, uh, you get a you get a traineeship. You do the right thing on your traineeship, you get you qualify into the firm. And actually for the first three, four years, you do the right thing, the promotions will happen. The problem is once you get to associate, it's not about that lockstep promotion anymore, but we often think it is. And this is why we often derail our careers because I deserve it. Now you don't deserve it. You've got to demonstrate that you're acting and thinking, feeling like the level above, that you're demonstrating that you can thrive in that role and you'll bring something to that role rather than going, I'd like it. Because we'd all like it, wouldn't we? You know, we'd all love that ego trip of partner on the business card. We'd all like this. We'd all like that. We'd all like that feeling of making it. But actually you've got to earn the right. I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. And it's no secret that historically less women have made it to partnership at law firms, um, in part due to having to choose between career and family. Um, But but your book title that I mentioned at the beginning (laughs) of, of the podcast suggests that it's possible to be a partner and still have a life. Is that really possible? And, and and this is a really interesting question, isn't it? And the answer is yes, but you've got to prioritise what having a life means. All too often, we don't take conscious choices. And we have to take conscious choices. So the reality is that there's two reasons why women don't make it up to partnership in the same volume as men. We look at the law and we actually know there's more female lawyers entering at the junior end, but there's less popping out at the senior end. Some of this is structural that we can whinge and complain about, but it is what it is. And 
some of this, you know, actually the pandemic has helped the career of female lawyers more than we anything else in probably the last 50 years. Uh, because of the ability to work more from home, which means that actually you can combine more of the family life and whatever. But let's look at this and take away the emotion. You know, bear in mind that I have a 16-year-old, virtually 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I wish that I could have been having them now with the opportunities that being able to work far more from home. My career would have looked very differently, although I probably would have still got sacked at some point. <laughs> um, is you've got, the first thing is, we talked about to make partner, you've got to grow a business. You've got to grow a business within a business. You've got to be able to win business. For most of us, that means that we had to get out there and win our own client base. That that at the time when you're wanting to spend time with family and hit your billable target, something's got to give. And it's normally that business development, which is part of the reason why it's often harder for women to make it there. We also have got to realize that your partners are looking for a business partner. And when you're when you're looking for a business partner, who are you going to trust? You're going to trust people like us, aren't you? When you've got a lot of practices that are almost 100% male partners, is it any wonder that it's harder for uh, people of colour as well and uh, females to break that ceiling into partnership? And I often say to some of my white male contacts, they just don't know some of the stuff that we've had to deal with. They've never had to think about whether they should let their hair grow grey naturally. I went, I started to grow grey at the age of 17. So there was a time in my 30s where I was in that kind of transition period, which shall we say, you know, but but if I was male, I would have never had to think about that, would never have had any accusations about you look, uh, you know, for years I had the you look too young and then I got grey hair and I never got that anymore. Funny that. But but a lot of men don't have to deal with it. So there's a lot of invisible boundaries that many male white lawyers will never see because they don't exist for them personally. They are in a privileged position. So for me, it comes down to being honest if you do have that goal to have a family you've got to ask yourself what are you going to say no to in order to do that so you want to be want, want to might want to be working for one of those magic law firms magic law firms in the city the ones that you know you're working 70 hour weeks as standard you've got to ask yourself is that conducive to a family life if it is you've either got a nanny or another half that's going to look after the kids now, you've got to ask yourself whether it's a choice you want to take. And we always have a choice, but we often forget that we have that choice. And it is about if you're going to have a life, you've got to be really clear about the choices you want to take. Now, there is nothing stopping you for when the kids are young, stepping off that 70, 80 hour week and going into industry for five years. Nothing stopping you. And even better, you can come back into practice with five years of deep sector knowledge, deep expertise, a great network. And as one of my former clients said to me, he said, so he'd left a, a, a known high street retail investment bank uh, with both investment retail. Uh, he'd, he'd, left a, he'd left a law firm as an associate, gone into there, gone up the ranks to a VP, gone back to the law firm after being the VP as a senior associate. And he said, it's far more fun uh, coming back into the law firm as a senior associate with five years of being a VP of one of their best customers. Um, so it is for me about being really clear about what matters to you. So if you want to do bath time three nights a week, what does that mean? What are the implications? What conversations are you going to have? 
And if someone turns around to you and says, that's not going to work here in this firm, you're going to need to look for another role. But it's about doing it purposefully and taking clear decisions. Because what normally happens is we work so many hours, we don't take clear decisions. We meander into our career. We meander onto the treadmill. And then we get to about 35 and think, hell, what happened? And this is about being really true to yourself and who you want. And then you can have that life. Yeah, I think I heard a quote. I can't remember where where it came from, but it's along the lines of you can have it all, but not at the same time. So. It's prioritising, planning, and just, yeah, like you said, not meandering through, but actually having an actionable plan and sticking to it. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we talk about having a career action plan, the one big focus where you know what you want to achieve career-wise for the next 90 days, and it's part of, and you look, you know, in the book, How to Make Partner Have a Life, we ask you to look at, we go a bit woohoo, but... Uh, we ask you to look at the roles you want to play, what what you see in your future. And, you know, if mother act or father or active parent, because we've got to remember that we talk about it as women. But actually, there are many more fathers that are not wanting to be the to never see their kids grow up. And are wanting to take far more of a 50 percent or more responsibility for how their children are, are parented and want to be there and present. And I and I welcome that. You know, my husband uh always took equal responsibility um we both went part-time when my two kids when our two kids were young um and actually there's been a little bit of a problem with my daughter at school and we're both texting each other going can you get her no I'm in a meeting no I'm let's go to podcast (laughs) but you know there is that real division between us so and I think one of my tips I've got for people it's very easy as a female to assume the caregiving role which suddenly means that you find yourself being the one that the school has on speed dial, being the one that always is expected to pick up the kid from nursery if they're if they're ill. Why should you? You know, if you're a lawyer, you're likely to earn just as much as your other half. Um, so have that conversation. You know, maybe Monday to Wednesday they do it, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you do it, whatever. But actually, don't take it on yourself that you have to run the home, do the full-time job at work, look after the kids, and less said about World Book Day is all I can say. (laughs) Thank you, Heather. Um, And, yeah, as we just draw towards the end of the episode, um, I've just got one final question for you. Um, So I've been going to networking events again recently, um, which kind of stopped during the pandemic, Um, and so I feel a bit out of practice. And I wondered if you've got maybe a couple of top tips for business networking that I can implement. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is, this will surprise you, is the author of the Financial Times Guide to Business Networking. I hate business networking. Uh, So why do I do that? Because what we normally think of business networking is going into a room, meeting a whole lot of strangers and having to make small talk. Mm, Your listeners won't realise that I'm five foot two and really petite. And what that means is that when I go into a room of networking, I'm normally at armpit height. And armpit height of gentlemen that have maybe been out for the day, whatever, is quite not a great place to be, either to catch the eyes or whatever. Um, I've got to that point where I'm struggling to hear low tones in with lots of background noise. I'm still 22, just in case your listeners are worrying, wondering. And so this just, just, the just thought of it fills me with dread. So this is what I do to enjoy those networking events. One, I pick really carefully. 
Who do I want to meet? How can I make sure they're in the room? You know, it's very rare that you'll find me just networking. I think I go to about three or four trade shows a year, either because I'm exhibiting or I'm speaking. That's the only amount of physical in the room networking I do. Um, because I can I can actually find people far more effectively online and then pick up and have a phone call if I want to later. So the first thing is really know why you're going in that room. Do not feel that you have to get yourself out there because you don't. Know who you want to meet and why you want to meet. I always then set off with a goal for that event because otherwise I'll hang around at the corner and I'll just won't do anything. Because it's, you know, you all your brain is imprinted with the people in authority telling you from a young age, don't talk to strangers. Then suddenly for your business purposes, you need to talk to strangers. That's mucked up. Of course, your brain is mucked up about that. So it's like, right, I, I set off with a goal of I need to have, say, three good conversations and then I can leave. Now, if I'm enjoying myself and I've had my three good conversations, I'll stay a bit longer. But as soon as that wave of fatigue hits me, I know to get out there. I also know to leave when I'm still enjoying it. And that makes a real difference. You know, when you get tired, I, I don't drink anyway because alcohol and my gut don't mix. But actually, you know, I'd also I'd say go carefully on the wine and the alcohol and the beer if it's there. Uh, you know, you need to look after yourself. You've got to keep your safety in mind. But have a goal. Get the goal done. Get the hell out of there. And those are my tips. Thank you, Heather. Um, yeah, so that is the end of the episode. Um, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. You've given some refreshingly honest advice and some great actionable points that I and I'm sure the listeners can go away and implement as juniors. Um, so thank you very much for that. Um, but before we let you go, um, please could you let us know how um, the listeners can connect with you and find out more about how to make partner? Absolutely. Come and find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you search for Heather Townsend, I'll come up at the top of the list. There's a nice smiley photo of me. You'll get the loving grey hair. Um, or you can find the website, howtomakepartner.com. It really is that simple. Or you can email me and it's not a it's not a difficult email address, heather at heathertownsend.co.uk. I will happily, you know, give you a bit of advice, point you in the right direction. You know, I remember how good people were to me at the start of my career. Um, and I want to return that favor. So please come and connect with me on LinkedIn. Say that you heard me on this podcast, because otherwise I'm like, oh, who are you? <laughs> so do tell me that, you know, personalize that re connection request. You can follow How to Make Partner on Instagram. And so please do so. We are on there. Um, and yeah, That's how be, I found you actually on Instagram. Yes, I know. You are first. Like, ooh. I've had a request to be on a podcast. Oh, this is nice through Instagram. So yes, as you know, there's some genuinely helpful stuff yeah, out there. We're, we're not a sales organisation. We're very much a let's help you. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to this episode and we will see you in the next one. Goodbye. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.